What MSP in their right mind is not protecting things? I mean, it happens. Not, we know that, but yeah. why? It's not part of the business. Yeah. It's not, it's not part of the business. And that gets back to the reason why we end up with regulations in the first place, right? Okay, folks, uh, some interesting news coming out of Congress related to cybersecurity legislation. So as we've talked about before, the CMMC program came out of rulemaking, and that rulemaking was basically spawned by legislation, specifically the FY20 NDAA, sort of the annual budget uh, legislation for the DOD. Congress specifically, the Armed Services Committees specifically, put language into the NDAA that directed the DOD to do rulemaking, to create a program that would hold contractors accountable for implementing their cybersecurity requirements, right? A sure. lot of legislation results in directing federal agencies to do rulemaking in order to meet the goal of the legislation. So <clears throat> laws and stuff like that typically don't have a lot of details in them, even though that something like the NDAA could be thousands of pages long. So very recently, there was a piece of legislation introduced by Nancy Mace of South Carolina. Small world, Nancy Mace and Katie Arrington ran against each other in the election in that district of South Carolina. Nancy Mace ended up winning, but there's something in the water in that district in South Carolina, uh, just outside Charleston somewhere, I think, because you now have two different people who are coming out of that district who are uh, influencing federal cybersecurity requirements in major ways, right? So that's just sort of an interesting, the world is smaller than you think sometimes detail there. Anyways, <clears throat> Representative Mace introduced this piece of legislation called the Federal Cybersecurity Vulnerability Reduction Act of 2023. And it's only six pages long with big old margins. So it's it's only a few paragraphs long in this piece of legislation. And it says a couple of very interesting things. It says that no later than 180 days from the enactment of this bill, the FAR and DFARS, so the Federal Acquisition Regulation, the Defense Supplement to the FAR, will be reviewed and updates to requirements and language for covered contractors will be recommended regarding vulnerability reduction and requirements. So uh, the FAR Council and the Secretary of Defense will review the current language on the books in current contract requirements, and they will make recommendations for uh, changing and adding to those requirements regarding vulnerability reduction, vulnerability management, vulnerability remediation, uh, vulnerability reporting. They also say that no later than 60 days from the time those recommendations are made, the FAR and DFARS will be updated via rulemaking. That's how they get updated to do the following things to align with NIST guidelines and OMB implementations on vulnerability management and reduction to align with ISO 29147 and ISO 3111, which are both vulnerability management standards from ISO. Uh, these will not apply to contracts under the simplified acquisition threshold. That's very common language in these uh, contract clauses. You'll see that in uh, the DFARS clauses related to other cybersecurity requirements. Uh, and to allow for waivers from executive department CISOs. So if you can get a hold of Dave McEwen 
uh, the CISO at Department of Defense and you ask him for a waiver from these requirements, I'm sure Dave would be happy to hook you up. And if you can't get a hold of Dave, then you ain't getting a waiver. So that's also very common, very common and similar uh, to what we see in the waiver language around CMMC 2.0 in mm -hmm. that they said, oh, well, there will be waivers. And you're like, will there be? Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Because the waiver process is typically very difficult to navigate, comes from a very high level within a, uh, an agency or a, a department or whatever. Uh, so they have it in there, but that's not really the, the main thrust of it. Okay, so there's this piece of legislation that is going to update the FAR and the DFARS to uh, require contractors to start doing more and better vulnerability management. And that's very interesting because when you're aligning with NIST standards, there goes that word again, aligning to NIST standards, right? Our favorite thing that CMMC 2.0 did, uh, that begs the question, what are defense contractors already required to do in terms of vulnerability management? And inside NIST SP-853, the sort of master catalog of NIST controls, the primary control that uh, regards vulnerability management is the control RA5. RA5 is that main control. And RA5 is represented in SP-800-171 Rev-2, the current version as of this recording of SP-800-172 in two requirements. It's represented in 3.11.2 and 3.11.3. So 3.11.2 says scan for vulnerabilities in organizational systems and applications periodically, and when new vulnerabilities affecting those systems and applications are identified. 3.11.3 says remediate vulnerabilities in accordance with risk assessments. People remember back when we had Amira Armand on the show and we talked about some of the top 10 most commonly missed DIBCAT controls, vulnerability management is typically something that contractors are not very good at. So when you zoom out and you connect the dots, Nancy Mace is probably not writing this legislation in a way where she's like, companies aren't implementing 3.11.2 very well. But when the SecDef and the DFARS revision process goes through, they're going to use data like that in order to say, which controls are we going to double down on? Which controls are we going to expand? Which controls will be points of emphasis during assessments, right? So controls that are directly related to vulnerability management are the kinds of things that this legislation is talking about, just like the controls required by DFARS 7012 in 800-171 are the things that the NDAA is indirectly talking about, if that makes sense. So the Armed Services Committee don't know the details of the NIST controls under the hood. They just want better accountability and implementation rates for the requirements. So eventually, when Congress writes a piece of legislation, it'll connect down to these details. And I think this is just another example of that. So some interesting details from the upcoming revision to 800-171 and 800-171 Rev 3 is we know that 800-171 Rev 3 is getting back to the full representation of 853 controls. So if you look at 800-171 um, Rev 3, then here, let me pull it up here real quick so I don't give anybody the wrong information. If you look at the uh, representation of 800-171 Rev 3, then you can see that the wording isn't all that different but some of the categorization of the controls has changed slightly. So there are, uh, the, there's the RA5 base control in 853, and then there's what are known as control enhancements. So 
most of the controls in 853 are enhancements to a relatively small number, uh, relatively, of base controls in 853. And we only have RA5 and two of those enhancements partially represented in the draft of 800-171-REV3. Uh, so we will link to a document called 853B, which is the document that is the it contains the baselines, the low, moderate, and high baselines from 853. And you will see that it goes RA5, RA5 parentheses 2, RA5 parentheses 3, RA5 parentheses 4, so on and so forth for these eight enhancements. So RA5 is vulnerability monitoring and scanning. Sounds very familiar to or very similar to what's in 800-171 Rev2. Some of the enhancements are uh, updating the vulnerabilities to be scanned, the breadth and depth of coverage of your vulnerability management program, uh, what information is discoverable in terms of sort of your privileged vulnerability scans, uh, how you manage that privileged access when you're doing privileged vulnerability scans, how you're automating this process, what you're doing for historic reviews of your audit logs and previous vulnerability scans, how you're correlating the information, and whether or not you have a public disclosure program. So. I bring this up because people should look at the RA5 cluster of control enhancements and then look at how little of it is represented in 800-171 currently or in the upcoming draft. And then look at what the bill is saying in this Vulnerability Reduction Act. And you can see that when the DFARS folks go through and review and recommend what the requirements will be, they're going to be taking their recommendations from this set of potential requirements in this NIST catalog. So I think that it's gonna be very interesting to keep our eye on how the legislation develops because we can see the raw material and the gaps that are not currently in requirements. And then we can extrapolate forward and say, gee, what kind of recommendations do you think they're gonna make for some sort of change to the DFARS moving forward in the future? Yeah, so I look at this and I see a lot of what you said, but what I also see from a more granular perspective is that this is another measure by the government, right? One of the things that we've heard over the past couple of years has been the emphasis on collaboration between government and industry, right? And what is this? This is the government collaborating with industry to get information. What are some of the most important parts of, I don't know, and this is similar to the incident, uh, the incident response, you know, mm -hmm. um, requirements of DFAR 7012, wherein you have to report it within a certain amount of time. What do you do when they report that incident? The government then reviews it and puts measures in place and sees if the controls which they are requiring are effective against the risks that are associated, right? And so that's exactly what this is. This is an ability for the government to ingest and see if there's a common theme with the vulnerabilities presented and whether it's maybe vendor source and organizationally source, or is it an overarching problem that needs to be addressed through government regulation. This is right. what they're using to consult industry to create regulations yeah. to actually put the requirements in place and the protections they need. Yeah, and that's a and that's a good point. And you know, I, I made a quick link po LinkedIn post on this and basically started it and said this is indirectly another reason why CMMC is inevitable. And the reason why I say that is this. Just like you said, almost always what you hear from the government is we want to uh, work this public-private partnership, this, this relationship between the government and industry to bring the resources of the government to bear to help with cybersecurity. 
And they primarily want to do that in two ways. One is incident reporting, incident management, incident remediation, and vulnerability management and remediation, right? And those two cycles are great. That is where we want to go collectively, right? We want the government to issue information on incidents and vulnerabilities. We want companies to be able to ingest that information, remediate accordingly when they experience something, we want them to report it and then so on and so forth. And the cycles continue and everybody wins. The problem is, is that the incident and vulnerability life cycles are dependent on very basic precursor controls like access controls, auditing and logging, configuration management, inventories, very boring, basic things that, as we know, most companies don't do inherently. They don't do it organically. So the government then gets put into this situation where industry says, help us with all of your resources. And they say, okay, here are these two life cycles. And then the life cycles don't work because the precursor controls aren't implemented, which mm -hmm. inevitably leads to something like CMMC that says you're required to implement these basic controls and we're going to show up and verify that you have implemented these basic controls, not for the sake of implementing the basic controls, but to facilitate these higher level, better and more effective goals of security, vulnerability, incident management, reporting and remediation. So this is sort of a very uh, loose set of dots that we're connecting here, but I find a lot of similarities between the NDAA going down to rulemaking going down to CMMC as I do with this, where there's mm -hmm. a vulnerability management bill that's going to refine the DFARS. There's a bunch of stuff that's not contained in SP 800-171 Rev 2 or upcoming in 171 Rev 3. That's probably the material that they're going to pull from specifically because we know that the controls, the snippets of the controls that are already out there already aren't implemented very well. They're on DIBCAC's top 10 list of most commonly missed controls. So absolutely. I, you know, it's this obscure piece of uh, proposed legislation, but the world is a lot smaller in terms of uh, how these things show up and affect contractors, you know, a couple of years later. So I think it's something that people would be interested in. We'll link to all the information. Definitely keep your eye on it and uh, dig into 853B and see what kinds of things they might uh, recommend. Do you think that there's going to be any additional like measures like this? Like, so obviously we, we have incident response, right? You got to report incidents within 72 hours and they're going to use that information. You got now vulnerability coming through. What's next? What, what do mean, you think's next? If you could guess, let's just be like, let's just take off the super over analytical hats right now. And like, if I was just looking at it right mine now. Is, uh, <laughs> mine is surgically attached, but okay. Yeah. But, but you get what I'm saying? Like, let's yeah. look at it. What could I think, be the well, next I possible what, thing? The, I don't know what the next one will be, but inevitably, I think one will be managed service providers. Right? Yeah. You, you cannot deny uh, that managed service providers are a problem for everyone because Absolutely. they are not contractors, but they are, they are the battle space, right? They are the way that the bad guys do bad guy things. Everyone is completely dependent on them to facilitate security controls, and the government has no ability to make them do anything directly because they're not on contract with the government. And so this is a crazy puzzle that CMMC is attempting to navigate, right, as a very sort of early indicator of what's going on. But it's just like we talk to everybody. You don't have to be in a defense industry in order to pay attention to the defense industry and get some value from it because what the DOD is doing with CMMC is trying to figure out how we're going to thread the needle with these situations. It's not, it's not 
this anomalous thing that's off in DOD land, right? The MSP problem, the supply chain problem, under-resourced small businesses that are dealing with information that they are unable to protect, but they still need to work with for various reasons are universal problems that transcend all of the different supply chains downstream from the federal government. So I think MSPs are definitely going to be one of the things that gets brought up like vulnerability and incident management. Every time that you hear the conversation come up and, and just getting on that MSP thing, right? You hear that conversation come up and they're like, you know, MSPs are going to need to be able to apply these protections and to demonstrate these protections. What MSP in their right mind is not protecting things? I mean, it happens. Not, we know that, but yeah. why? It's not part of the business. Yeah. It's not, it's not part of the business. And that gets back to the reason why we end up with regulations in the first place, right? Is that Absolutely. the market does not reward security. In yeah. we've talked about this before, in formal economics, that is what is known as a market failure in the sense that if you leave the market to its devices, right, the market should correct for itself, right? Absolutely. You know, through through the magic of economics, right? If you don't mess with the market, the market will figure it out. But in some situations, the market doesn't figure it out. And those are called market failures. Sometimes this is referred to as externalities, uh, a market for lemons. There's a bunch of reasons why the market is not perfectly efficient, right? And security is a good example of that because security is very, very important for a lot of reasons, but the market doesn't reward it, so it doesn't get done. And then as a result, what are you going to do, right? Typically what ends up happening is you step in and try to correct a market failure through one of three things. You either tax the behavior, you subsidize the behavior, or you regulate the behavior. And we're not gonna tax bad security anytime soon. We clearly are not gonna subsidize everybody's security anytime soon. So that leaves one option, regulation. And it's not a good option. It has a lot of trade-offs. It has a lot of unintended consequences. It's not a precise tool. It's not a tool that anybody likes to do, but it's the only option out there because implementation rates of SB 800-171 are still sub 30% 10 years after it's been required, right? That's, that's it. That's it. And so you end up with legislation creating rulemaking about vulnerability management, legislation creating rulemaking about software supply chain development, legislation creating rulemaking about assessment programs to verify basic con controls are implemented over and over and over again. It's the same pattern. So absolutely, I wanted to bring this up as an example. If you weren't around when the FY20 NDAA was written, here's a uh, here's one to jump on and pay attention to, and you can sort of watch it move through the process. I guarantee you that this bill will eventually emerge as something, and it will eventually pull some of that information out of RA5 and its various enhancements from 853B and slap those on as additional requirements, either inside or on top of the requirements that are already existing for the defense industrial base. Absolutely. And then if go. there's not, you know, like, there's <clears throat> nothing else that, that really needs to be say, said about that particular topic. I think the last thing that we got to do is make sure that, you know, this is a pretty much coming close to the last opportunity that you have to register for CS2 Denver. Come see us live on stage, talk about more NIST controls in the CUI series. And uh, if you're yeah. a podcast listener, 15% off, sum it up, CS2 DEN, S-U-M-I-T-U-P-C-S-2 D-E-N. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Yeah. We'll see you guys there. And uh, yeah, CS2 is right around the corner. So getting excited. Yeah, man. All righty. See you guys next week.